I get to close out the series today, redirect. Man, I've already given this explanation, but I'm telling you so many people have asked me about this graphic. We should have just posted it online, but that is a depiction of the Apostle Paul. That is basically Saul falling off of his horse when he has an encounter and a vision of, of Jesus. And of course, we know once he got up off of the ground, his name was changed to Paul and his entire life was redirected from where he was headed and what he was doing, which he was like the best Pharisee and the guy that persecuted Christians the most. He actually oversaw and approved the death of the first martyr, right? And in this one moment, he has an encounter with Jesus and it changes his life completely. And instead of persecuting Christians, he was going around basically Jesus, through him creating more and more Christians, turning the world upside down. It just took a simple redirection. Uh, it took a simple redirection of his, of his uh, energy, of his thoughts, of, of where he was looking. Started off the service by reading Hebrews 12, 1 through 2. I'm going to read it again. And I'm going to piggyback uh, and close out what I started talking about two weeks ago, which is if you are in need of a redirect in any area, how do I know if I am? Well, here's the thing. As a believer, if you're not seeing victory, if you're not walking in joy and peace, if you're, if you're not walking in, in the righteousness of Jesus, then it's safe to say in need of a redirect. As a believer, we have opportunity 24-7, 365 days a year to walk and operate out of the kingdom's economy rather than the world's economy. The kingdom's economy is righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Ghost, and it doesn't change. So if there's moments or a large portion of my life where I'm not walking out righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Ghost, then as a believer, you don't need more of God. You got all the God you could possibly need. You don't need more of Jesus and less of you, apart from what the popular song from the 80s and 90s said. You don't need more of Jesus and less of you. You got all of Jesus, and he wants all of you, not just part of you, right? So you don't need more Holy Ghost. One third of you, your spirit is wall-to-wall -wall Holy Ghost. The same spirit that lived in Jesus lives in you. The resurrection power that rose Jesus from the grave and rolled that stone away lives inside of you. The power that brought Lazarus back from the dead lives on the inside of you. The joy, the oil of gladness that was poured out on Jesus greater than anyone else because of Jesus is a part of your life. The peace beyond understanding. When the world says there's no reason for you to have peace, that peace belongs to you. You don't need more of Jesus. You don't need more of God. You don't need more of the Holy Spirit. You got all you could ever have. That's a done deal. You are sealed until and through the day of judgment. So what do we got to do to redirect our life, our thoughts, our behavior? We talked about it two weeks ago. Like Paul, you got to look to Jesus. He had to see a vision because he didn't have the written word like we have it. You got the written word. If you don't have a vision, I mean, I, I got to tell you, I've heard stories of people where they say, Jesus walked into my room. My father-in-law has the story where he was at his wit's end. And one night in his second story apartment, Jesus walked through his window into his room and talked to him and it changed his life. That's never happened to me, right? I've never had a moment where Jesus appeared to me and just talked to me. But, but his word is the exact same. 
When I got his word to look at, I don't have to have a vision like that, right? This is the exact thing. Paul said that he had it better than the disciples because they walked with Jesus and they saw him in the flesh. Paul said, I actually only know him by the spirit. And Peter, who walked with Jesus in the flesh, said, Paul says things and writes scripture that is sometimes hard to understand. And these other disciples began to look to Paul as an apostolic father and partner. And Paul never knew Jesus by the flesh. He had a greater revelation of Jesus because he knew him by the Spirit. And when we open up the Word and we look to Jesus in the Word, it is the greatest revelation of him we could possibly have. This is the greatest revelation of Jesus. So we look to him. Second, when we look to him in his life and we see the way he responds and reacts, and we want to be like that, we want to respond and react like that, we have to, number two, identify our wrong patterns of thinking and throw them out. That's important, right? We don't just read it in one ear out the other. We read it, we see how Jesus responds to sinners, and we think, man, Maybe I'm responding to people around me in my life. I, I don't see, I'm not acting like Jesus did. Well, then you might have a wrong pattern of thinking. You might have some wrong behaviors. Let's identify it and change it. Let's throw out the wrong ideas. And then three, we're going to change those behaviors by experiencing the truth and the word, applying it to our lives. I want to break down each one of those things today and kind of talk about what scripture those are based on and how, when we apply them, we will see victory quickly. We'll start with looking to Jesus. Hebrews 12, 1 through 2. Wherefore, seeing we also are compassed about with so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and the sin which does so easily beset us. So if there's a weight, a pattern of thinking, a belief system, or even a sin that is getting you off track, Paul is saying, listen up. I'm about to tell you how to lay that aside. I mean, th that gets my attention, right? Because I, I know I'm not perfect. I know I got things and behaviors in my life that I know I need to change. And it's hard on your own, right? It's, it's nearly impossible to make changes on your own. That's why there's programs like rehabilitation programs. That's why there's so many self-help books. If it was easy to change on your own, there'd be none of that stuff in existence. But thank God, as a believer, we're not on our own. You're not on your own. You got the Holy Ghost as your co-laborer on the inside. You got Jesus who's in the room with you on the inside of you. We sang about it. We celebrated it. You're not on your own. Paul says, I'm about to tell you how to lay these things aside that easily get you off track. He says, and bonus, let us run with patience the race that is set before us. So not only are we going to lay aside things that are getting us off track, we're going to also begin to ignite and use the patience that we have on the inside of us. And if you don't, uh, if you're thinking, well, that's not me, I don't have patience. If you're a believer, you do. So you got to stop making that confession. The fruit of the Holy Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness. In other words, if you got the Holy Spirit, you got patience on the inside of you. You're just not using it, right? You're just not using what you already have. You don't need more of it. You just got to use what's already there. Let us run with patience the race that is set before us. Also, uh, he's about to tell you how to do it. You ready? Looking unto Jesus. Could it possibly be that simple? Here's how you do it. Looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is set down and is set down at the right hand of the throne of God. 
So what, what is it exactly that's going to happen when we begin to look to Jesus? We're going to begin to lay aside the sin, the doubt, the fear, the anxiety, whatever it is that is knocking you off track. Here's step one, look unto Jesus. I, I love this because if you have questions about God, the nature of God, if you have questions about what he's like, I heard somebody say this and it has stuck with me. Jesus is perfect theology. He is perfect theology, right? We, there's a lot of things in the Bible that have been misinterpreted and have been taken out of context. And, and even as we study the word on our own, we have to be careful not to take things out of context, not to misinterpret things. We have to let the word interpret the word. One of the ways we can do that is by running everything through the life of Jesus. He is perfect theology. He was God in the flesh responding to humans, responding to sin, responding to people's doubt. And when we look to him, if we believe something about God and we don't see it in the life and the nature of Jesus, then at the very least, we have the rights to question what we're believing. If I believe that God sends sickness to teach me a lesson, yet I don't see Jesus put sickness on anybody to teach them a lesson, I at the very least have a right to say, well, Lord, do you actually send sickness to teach people lessons? And then I got an entire Bible here that I can pick up and I can read. And as I read it, I'm going to find out that Jesus said, I actually took all your sicknesses and diseases to the grave with me. And I'm going to read about the guy that says, Lord, if you're willing, you can make me well. And he says, I'm willing. And then I'm going to find the scripture that says, God's no respecter of persons. If he's willing to heal this guy, he's willing to heal everybody. So then all of a sudden, because I look to Jesus, and I never see him saying, I'll teach you a lesson. I'm going to give you some cancer. And, and, and then you'll learn. And I don't see him doing that. I'm going to question that. I'm going to go to the word. And I'm going to discover the nature of him. I'm going to discover who he is. And then I'm going to cast out that wrong thinking. Well, you know what? I've always believed this, but now I'm not going to believe it. I'm going to apply that to my life. I'm going to begin to minister to other people. Hey, you can be healed of this. This isn't from the Lord. Let's, let's rebuke this. The enemy comes to steal, kill, and destroy. Jesus came to give life and life abundantly. So as we look to Jesus, we are going to see wrong thinking that we have come to the surface, and then we can apply it to our life. Same for forgiveness. Man, sometimes it's hard to walk in forgiveness. Isn't it funny that that was one of the main questions the disciples had? Like, <laughs> they said, they didn't say, teach us to, to raise the dead or heal the sick. They said, teach us to pray. And then another point, they were asking about forgiveness. Like, how do you do this? How do you forgive people that wrong you? That's hard. It's hard not to hold a grudge. It's hard not to fall into the trap of offense. Did you know when the word of God says the word offense, it is the exact same word for trap? You can read the Bible, and when it says the word offense, you can just replace it with the word trap. It's the exact same word in the language. Uh, so the same with forgiveness. If we're having a problem with unforgiveness in our heart, man, it's, it's killing you. Unforgiveness is like a poison that slowly just moves through your body and will shut you down. But then we read and look to Jesus, and we see him in the darkest hour you could ever imagine. Say, Father, forgive them. They don't know what they do. You can see his best friend deny him three times before the rooster crows. And then you can see him just days later cooking for him 
on, on the seashore saying, do you love me? Go feed my sheep. And we can watch Jesus operate in forgiveness. And then not only will we begin to freely forgive others, when you start operating as somebody who knows they're forgiven, man, that brings a lot. That changes everything you do. That changes every decision you make. Because you stop making decisions as, I'm a filthy sinner. I hope God is on my side even though I messed up. And you start making decisions based on, I'm a child of God, loved, bought with a price. I can come boldly into his throne even on my worst day. Man, that's good. Same with acceptance. You'll read if it's hard for you. If you deal with rejection, how can I be accepted? How can God accept me? I've made mistakes. And it wasn't even because of somebody else. I made them on my own. We talked about that in the men's group Thursday. That it's easy to say God makes things work for my good, right? Unless we make the mistakes. And then it's like, well, I made this mistake myself. He can't use this one, but that's not what the word says. God makes all things work for the good of those who are in Christ Jesus, even even if it's you who made the mistake yourself. He always accepts you. You'll read the story of Zacchaeus and you'll see Jesus accepting a thief, a known thief who was stealing from the Jewish people every day. And he said, Zacchaeus, come down from the tree. I'm going to your house. He honored him. Jesus actually honored Zacchaeus by going to eat at his house. And within that honor, within that acceptance of Zacchaeus, Zacchaeus turned his whole life around and said, I'm gonna give away everything I've ever stolen. But when we see it in the life of Jesus, we are seeing perfect theology. And if we believe something we don't see in the life of Jesus, at least question, why do I think this about God? Why do I think he rejects me when I only see Jesus accepting people and loving them and offering them salvation? It doesn't say, behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the Christians. It doesn't say, behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of this certain group of people. Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. The tragedy is that there are people in this world who aren't going to the Lord and receiving that forgiveness on their own and accepting him. They've already been accepted by Jesus. Now it's up to us to go accept him. And the tragedy is there are people who aren't accepting him. And there is a hell. It's a real place. And there are people there. And it's horrible. But we have good news. And we got to go tell them. We got to see the life of Jesus as he accepts people. We got to tell them, hey, even on your worst day, you're accepted by Jesus. Even in the middle of your mess, you're accepted by Jesus. And then as we go tell others that, we're going to start believing it about ourselves. And when you start believing that about yourself, again, you're going to be lit up with more power, with more victory than you've ever imagined. We got to look to Jesus and we lay aside the things that easily beset us. That's not just a cute thing I came up with a few weeks ago. That's something Paul wrote. That is step one on how to redirect our wrong patterns of behavior and thinking. And there it is in the word. Step two is identify those wrong thinking, those wrong ideas. Throw them out, throw them out and change them up. Romans 12 verse two is a life verse for myself and Lisa. Be not conformed to this world, but be ye transformed by the renewing of your mind that ye may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. I talk about this verse all the time because it is worthy of being talked about all the time. We will conform to the world's patterns and the world's ways of thinking 
That's our default mode for some reason here on the earth. However, we don't have to default to that. We can on purpose renew our mind to the word. That's what we do when we look to Jesus. We're renewing our mind to him, to the way he thinks about us, to what he says, to his truth. And as we renew our mind, we start to change the way we think. And then our actions begin to line up with that. You know, you can't just change your actions. That's like trying to, uh, that's like trying to get rid of, of a plant by just cutting off the stem that you see. If there's roots under the ground, it's going to keep coming back and coming back. The root of your behavior is thoughts and thought patterns. You got to change the way you think if you want to change your behavior. So many people got it backwards. I'm going to change my behavior and then everything will line up. No, change your thinking and then your behavior and everything else lines up. You're already accepted by God. Now, repentance is great. Recognize I did something wrong. I'm going to move past this, but start with your thinking by looking to Jesus, identifying that. When Lisa and I stepped in as pastors seven and a half years ago now almost, it doesn't seem like that long, but it has been seven and a half years, we would go home after church services that actually went pretty well. And uh, for whatever reason, though, we were a bit thrust into this. If you guys don't know this, anybody here, my, my father, my dad passed away in 2016, and he was our pastor. That's when Lisa and I stepped in. But we would go home and just look at each other and, and just say, we, this, we are not qualified for this. I would look at her and I would say, I don't know what I'm doing. I don't know what I'm saying. I just said everything I know uh, in today's sermon and I got to write 51 more sermons over the next year. Like, I don't even know. We're not qualified for this. And we would eventually remind each other that Philippians 4.13 says we're not alone. And if we're not qualified, that's okay. We have a partner. We have Jesus. And in Christ, we can do all things. We'd remind each other that we're blessed according to his riches. We would remind each other that we can do it because we're not alone. And even if we're not qualified, we're at least available and we're just going to keep on showing up. Right. And seven and a half years later, I can tell you, I still know 100 percent I am not qualified to do this on my own. However, I'm not on my own and neither are you. Right. As you begin to renew your mind more and more to what the word says and to who Jesus is, I'm going to tell you something that'll happen. All right. Have you ever heard this phrase hard hearted? Right. I always, in my mind, first and foremost, apply this phrase to Christians who become hard hearted towards God. Right. Christians that fall into patterns of behavior and, and even become hard hearted to, to a life of sin. I mean, there's things we see on TV now on, on regular TV shows. 20 years ago, we would have, it, it, was, it was crazy when something like that popped up on TV, but now it's just out there. We've become hard-hearted to, to like seeing sin, right? It's just become like, we've become like callous to it, right? There's believers who are hard-hearted to the word of God. They're believers, but they can hear this and they become hard-hearted. Like, well, I don't understand it. I don't even try anymore. You've become hard-hearted towards the word of God. But I'm here to tell you something. When you look to Jesus and when you pick up the word and you're applying it to your life, you stay hard-hearted but it's not going to be towards the Lord. It's going to be towards fear, towards doubt, towards unbelief. You're going to be hard-hearted towards the devil and his attacks. You're going to become hard-hearted towards the anxiety. Anxiety is going to be facing you like it has in the past. And when it has taken you out in the past, instead of taking you out, you're not even going to realize it's there because you've softened your heart to the word. You've softened your heart to the life of Jesus and your heart is growing calloused and hard towards the things of the world. 
Man, I would rather be never aware of what the enemy is doing and only aware of what God is doing, right? Now, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to give a little disclaimer with that. I do think it's important to know how the enemy operates, but I think it's more important to know how God is operating and what he's doing. I think it's important to be aware, to recognize at times when I'm being attacked, but I love it when I realize after the fact, oh, I was being attacked. I didn't even realize it. That's good news. That's happened several times in our lives, right? We, we, uh, we, got, we got through a season a few years back with um, flying colors. And, and uh, at the end of this season, this person who was in our life for a while and then was out of our life, we heard from a few different people, man, that person was talking junk about you guys. They were going around telling me and everybody else all kinds of stuff. We didn't even realize it. And at the time, we'd already given them a loving farewell. They had, they had stepped down from, uh, from, from, from different parts of our life. We'd given them a loving embrace, told them goodbye. There was nothing but good blood between us. And I found out after the fact, they were going around talking so much junk. We weren't even aware. Our hearts were hard towards what the enemy was doing through these people, right? Because it was so soft towards the word of God. And that's not something that just happens once and all of a sudden you're there. It's something you have to stay at because this verse, Romans 12, 2, it's not renew your mind to the word of God once and you'll never think like the world. No, it's, it's continual. It's always renew your mind to the word of God and you will stay soft to how he works, how he operates. You will begin to grow hard towards the world and how the world operates. I mean, that's a really good thing because if I become too aware of what the enemy's doing, if I become too aware of, of, of attacks and of all kinds of things, man, my flesh, this, this part of me that you see can jump into fear and anxiety really easily. I got to pull myself out of it immediately. And how do I do it? Renewing my mind. I'll give you an, a life in action example. Uh, I hope they don't mind me sharing this. Will and Brittany had a heat issue this week. They woke up one night or before they went to bed, all of a sudden the temperature in the house was getting colder. It was like 28 degrees outside. Little Jolene was just shivering over in the corner and they had, they, no, she wasn't. She had, she was just fine. <laughs> But <laughs> no, they made it work. They had space heaters and things available, but their heat went out one night and uh, it was fixed pretty simply the next day, which was a huge blessing. But last night I woke up and, and like, I, I don't know, I drank some strong coffee, like pretty late. And I, I don't know, I woke up like around one o'clock. I mean, like weirdly wide awake, but also still kind of unaware of where I was, what day it was. And I, I guess I had a dream that our heat went out. I woke up in my bed and I was freezing. And I thought, oh my gosh, our heat went out just like Will and Brittany's, right? And I'm telling you, I felt anxiety attacking me because I, for a few seconds, thought our heat was out. I started thinking through, all right, well, this will be a, a bill coming our way here pretty soon. I guess do I need to get up and go dig out the space heaters? Are Ava and Judah in their rooms freezing? And I'm still just laying in bed and I can start feeling my, my heart start racing a little bit, right? And my mind starts to race. And then all of a sudden I felt a little bit sick in my stomach ever since I was a kid, man. If I let anxiety have a place, it lives right here in my belly and I start feeling it, right? And I started feeling that laying in bed last night because of something as simple as thinking our heat was out, right? That's goofy to feel anxious over anyway, but I'm telling you, last night I had to fight that. I had to lay there in bed and think, all right, 
throw all this out. Uh, I began to remember who we were in Christ. I began to remember our promises. And then I realized it's actually a billion degrees in our room right now, and I'm covered in sweat. Our heat is pumping. I actually got up and turned it down. That was good. But I started feeling anxiety over something that wasn't even real, right? I'm going to say it's because I was only half awake. It took me a minute to get my bearings, right? But I want to be able to even fight that in my sleep, right? Why not? We renew our mind to the word enough. Even in our sleep, we're going to start having victory. Even in our dreams, we're going to be the winners and not the losers because that's who we are as the body of Christ. So many people harden their hearts towards the Lord and his word. I want to be the person who has a soft heart towards the word, who understands how Jesus operates. And I want my heart to be hard towards the world. I want my heart to be hard towards the enemy. I want my heart to be hard towards fear, anxiety, doubt, unbelief every time. Why not? We can do it. We look to Jesus, step one. Step two, we identify the wrong thinking and we change it. And then step three, I really believe is, uh, I believe all three are just as important as each other, but step three, is a big one. You got to apply it to your life. You have to experience it for yourself. You can't just think it. You have to put action to the belief because faith without works is dead, right? It's not even real faith if there's no works involved with it. There's this great verse in Joshua, Joshua 24, 31. You know, Moses led the people of Egypt, uh, led the people of Israel out of Egypt, led them through the desert for 40 years. And of course, he wasn't allowed to go into the promised land. So he went up the mountain, had passed away. And Joshua, his protege, and Caleb were about to lead the children of Israel into the promised land, right? Joshua and Caleb were the only two that left Egypt that were able to go into the promised land. Everybody else died. But there was a generation of people following Joshua and Caleb into the promised land that saw the miracles in the desert. They were born in the desert. They were born in the wilderness. But there was people up to 39, maybe even 40 years old who had spent their entire life seeing the miracles in the desert. There was also a younger generation, kids. It was every age you can imagine, right? Up to 40, we're about to enter the promised land. And Joshua gives us this famous speech where he talks about the Lord and everything he's done. And he says, you have to choose this day who you're going to serve. But as for me and my house, we're going to serve the Lord. And then after Joshua makes this statement, we get insight into how this generation of people lived in Joshua 24, 31. The people of Israel served the Lord throughout the lifetime of Joshua and of the elders who outlived him those who had personally experienced all that the Lord had done for Israel. The ones who had personally experienced what the Lord had done for Israel served him throughout their lifetimes. But there was a generation who didn't see or experience what the Lord did. And they turned away as soon as Joshua and the elders were gone. This is a prime example of people who build their faith and their belief system on somebody else. Listen, uh, there's, there's things all the time in the news, men of God and people who make mistakes and it affects people in such a negative way and they turn away because this man has let you down. People will let you down every time. Every time, people will let you down. People are flawed, but there is somebody who will not let you down.
You have a God in heaven. You have a Savior named Jesus who will never let you down. And when your faith is built on the life of Jesus, when your faith is built on the word of God, even when people fall all around you, you will stay strong. You won't turn your back on the Lord because you will have experienced his goodness and his word for yourself. You can't just know it. You can't just read the life of Jesus and say, wow, he freely forgave. I should probably freely forgive and then not freely forgive, right? How many times have you made this decision in life? I know I have. All right, Jesus forgave people. I'm going to forgive. It's done. It's water under the bridge. The next time I see that person, it's those same feelings. I'm still acting all salty. I'm still talking behind their back, right? I see it. I know it, but I haven't applied it to my life. You have to experience it because when you experience it, then you will find the freedom when you do operate in that forgiveness and the next time you see that person, it really is water under the bridge and you're out for their good and you're speaking to them and you're not holding on to that offense. You will feel freedom like never before. You will really be free. You can't just know it. You have to apply it to see that victory. It's like a three-step process to just seal this in. You got to look to Jesus. You got to identify the wrong thinking, throw it out. Then you got to apply that new revelation to your life. You have to do all three. I don't want to be the children of Israel. I don't want to walk out of here after hearing a good sermon and live the exact same way I lived before this. We should be applying these things to our lives. We should be applying the word to our life. We should look at the life of Jesus and say, not only do I love the way he operated, I'm going to start operating this way. Not only do I really appreciate the way Jesus walked around healing the sick, telling people that, that the enemy was out to steal, kill and destroy from them and I'm out to give you life. I'm actually wanting to go out and offer that same life to people because it's on the inside of me. I don't want to just turn the other way when I walk past a sick person or somebody in need. I want to look at them, walk right up to them and say, hey, do you want to be well? Jesus can heal you. Jesus can meet these needs. I got a church that you can be a part of that can help meet these needs. I don't want to leave people hanging. We have to apply it to our lives. A lot of people, a lot of you in here probably have never seen anybody healed because you never walked up to a sick person and prayed for them, right? You just got to do it. You got to do it. You just got to do it. If you experience the truth for yourself, man, it begins to redirect you like never before. It's like the completed process. I've now, I have now redirected patterns of thinking and behaviors, and I'm ready to see victory. I'm going to close with this example. We get a great, great example of this uh, with the thieves on the cross, the two thieves that were crucified with Jesus. You know, you see the pictures. You can you always see the three crosses together. Well, uh, I'm not going to take for granted everybody knows this in here, but I imagine most of you do. Jesus was crucified beside two criminals. So there was a criminal on his left, a criminal on his right, and then Jesus, the perfect son of God, who never sinned or messed up one time, was in the middle being punished for all of our sins, right? Being crucified because of our mistakes. Matthew 27, 41 through 44, we get three versions of this story, all with some different insight. All three are important. So here's what Matthew tells us. The leading priest, the teachers of religious law, and the elders also mocked Jesus. He saved others, they scoffed, but he can't save himself. So he's the king of Israel, is he? Let him come down from the cross right now, and we'll believe in him. 
He trusted God so that God rescue him now if he wants him. For he said, I am the son of God. Even the revolutionaries, that's the thieves, that's the criminals beside him. Even the revolutionaries, plural, who were crucified with him, ridiculed him in the same way. If you know the story, you know one of these thieves eventually repents and asks Jesus, will you remember me when you enter your kingdom? And Jesus says, today you'll be with me in paradise, right? That's the insight we get from Luke. But here we get in Matthew, both of them, even the revolutionaries, even the one that eventually says, will you remember me, is beside him on the cross, ridiculing him in the same way. You're so powerful, come down from there. Then we'll believe in you. You're the son of God. Really, will the son of God be nailed to a cross like you are? Mark says the same thing. Mark 15, 32. Let Christ, the king of Israel, descend now from the cross that we may see and believe. And they, plural, that were crucified with him, reviled him. So both thieves reviled. That word means to criticize in an abusive and angry manner. So you had two thieves, both beside Jesus, criticizing him in an abusive and angry manner. They're both saying this same stuff to him, which makes what happens in Luke even more powerful. Luke 23, 32. Two others, both criminals, were led out to be executed with Jesus. When they came to a place called the skull, they nailed Jesus to the cross and the criminals were also crucified, one on his right and one on his left. Jesus said, Father, forgive them for they don't know what they're doing. So these two criminals that are being crucified beside Jesus are now nailed to a cross beside him in close proximity. And as they're reviling him, as they're abusing him, as they're screaming out these horrible things, they both are witness to Jesus saying, Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. And the soldiers gambled for his clothing by throwing dice. The crowd watched. The crowd watched and the leaders scoffed. He saved others, they said, let him save himself. Is he really God's Messiah, the chosen one? The soldiers mocked him too. By offering him a drink of sour wine, they called out to him, if you are king of the Jews, save yourself. The sign was fastened above him with these words, this is the king of the Jews. One of the criminals hanging beside him scoffed, so you're the Messiah, are you? Prove it by saving yourself. So back to the criminals. They've already heard him say, Father, forgive them. So according to the three accounts, the progression is the criminals are joining in with the crowd, both of them mocking Jesus, making fun of him, and then they both hear him say, Father, forgive them. And then we're not talking plural anymore. It goes to singular form. One of the criminals hanging beside him scoffed. So you're the Messiah, are you? Prove it by saving yourself. Save us too while you're at it. And the other criminal protested, don't you fear God even when you've been sentenced to die? We deserve to die for our crimes, but this man hasn't done anything wrong. So he had a revelation. One of those two criminals looked to Jesus and recognized a wrong pattern of thinking. I'm not thinking what's right about this guy. He's getting crucified, but he's not angry. He's nailed to a cross, but he's praying and asking God to forgive the ones that nailed him to the cross. He's at the brink of death, but he's only concerned about others around him. And he says, don't you even fear God. This man hasn't done anything wrong. Then he applies the word to his life. He doesn't just leave it at that. 
he says, Jesus takes a chance. He was probably shaking. He was probably nervous. What if he says no? He goes, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. And Jesus replied, I assure you, today you will be with me in paradise. Man, there's so much to that. I could talk about that, I feel like, for a hundred years. This guy did not only not have a chance to repent, to change his ways. He didn't have a way to. He was nailed to a cross. He was dying. This right here will mess up some people's theology, right? He didn't have time to make the wrong things right. All he did, all he could say is, I've looked to Jesus and I've seen something different. I've been thinking about this guy the wrong way. Jesus, is there any chance? Is there any chance you'll remember me when you enter your kingdom? And thank God we have a savior that every time says, yes, come be with me in paradise. Man, that's good, good, good news. I love how we see this with these two guys. And I, I wish the other guy would have had the same experience, but he didn't. They both looked to Jesus. They both saw this moment. But only one said, all right, the life of Jesus that's fixing some wrong thinking I have. And then he applied it and we saw victory in his life. He was on that cross for a little bit longer and then he was in a much better place with Jesus. And he's still there. We get to meet this guy one day. We get to talk to him. What was it like? What was it like? When, what did you feel like when Jesus said, you'll be with me in paradise at the very last minute, right? We've all actually had the same experience. We just weren't nailed to a cross. It maybe wasn't the last breath we had. But he saved us just the same. And I'm grateful. I'm grateful enough to look to him, to see how he responds to people, and then to apply that to my life, to see how Jesus thinks about those around me and myself, and to apply it to my life. It will redirect all the wrong patterns of thinking. I'll go from having faith in a God I'm not super sure about, in a God I don't know if he's for me or against me, into a God I know is for me, who is on my side, and like we sang earlier, who is in the room and on the inside of me. Speaking of that, I'm gonna have the band come back up. We're gonna respond to the word with some worship here as we close. But man, I hope this ministered to you. I hope this ministered to you. You don't need an encounter with Jesus the way the Apostle Paul had that encounter with Jesus. You don't need him to show up and talk to you face to face. I know it'd be nice, right? I'd like that as well. But what I'm saying is you don't have to have that to look to Jesus. He is right here. He is right here in the Word. John chapter 1, verse 1 says, In the beginning was the Word. The Word was with God. The Word was God. Jesus, his life is perfect theology. You got a question about what the Bible says? Go to the life of Jesus first and look to him. You got a question? How do I accept this? How do I act in this certain area? Look to Jesus. Throw out wrong things that we've been thinking or if we've never thought anything, just think the way he does. Apply it to your life. Man, you will see more victory. I said it two weeks ago. I'll say it again. You'll see more victory in your life on accident than you've ever seen on purpose. You'll see addictions fall off. Paul said it himself. The sin that easily besets you, the wrong things, you will lay them aside when you start with looking to Jesus. That's good, good news. Amen? Let's all stand together. Father, we're so grateful for who you are. We're so grateful for your love that never fails. We're grateful for your word 
that not only is filled with truth, but is perfect truth. Thank you for living for us. Thank you for showing us what you think about people, how you accept us, how you love us. And Father, where we've thought things, where we've had wrong patterns of thinking that's led to wrong behaviors, I thank you that as we look to you now, as we identify those wrong things and make them right and apply it to our lives, I thank you for all the victory we'll see. That like Paul, where we've had behaviors that are leading to death, man, instead we're going to lead others and ourselves to life and life abundantly in Christ. So grateful for who you are, all you're saying and all you're doing. We love you, Lord. Amen. Let's respond for just a few moments.